This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Tuesday, August 22nd of 2023. I'm your host, Yvonne Olivas. Coming up on today's program, government officials, university leaders, and grassroots organizers met yesterday at CU Boulder for a community conversation on gun violence prevention. The Maui wildfires are bringing attention to historic water disputes on the island. That story and more on This Week in Water. Then we'll go to our comment line to hear what's on the minds of listeners. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then it's How on Earth? KG News Science Show. At 9 a.m. comes another archival recording of the wit and wisdom of Alan Watts. Then at 9.30, Joanne Cole will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still coming up. But first, it's time for headlines with KG News, John Kellen. The Denver City Council has voted to extend Mayor Mike Johnston's emergency declaration on homelessness. It's the second time the council has voted to extend the declaration, which the mayor announced at the beginning of his term last month. The new extension goes until September 18th. Mayoral advisor Cole Chandler said homelessness in Denver is an emergency that must be dealt with. Governor Jared Polis has issued an executive order meant to improve affordable housing options in Colorado. In a press conference yesterday, he said one of the goals of the order is to reduce the red tape on home loan approvals. He said that by next July, the turnaround time should be down from 240 to 90 days. Nearly a third of all Coloradans, he said, spend more than 30% of their income on housing. High costs force people to live further away from their workplace, which in turn makes traffic worse, contributes to air pollution, and limits job opportunities. The governor said he wants to make sure the state is doing its part to support strategic, sustainable affordability for future generations, adding that the executive order is meant to speed the process at the state and local levels. At that same press conference yesterday, the senior vice president of government affairs for the Apartment Association of Metro Denver said the biggest housing construction delays are at the local level. Meanwhile, a multi-billion dollar property tax relief measure will appear on the November ballot. In a ruling yesterday, the state Supreme Court turned back a Republican challenge to the measure. Republican opponents said Proposition HH violated the state constitution's single subject provision. The state Supreme Court, however, said they can't rule on a measure that voters haven't approved or rejected. Two Aurora police officers who face charges connected to the 2019 death of Elijah McCain have had their sentence-enhancing counts for assault charges dropped. KGNU Steve Miller reports. The Denver Gazette reports that the Colorado Attorney General's office dropped the sentence-enhancing counts against Randy Rodema and Jason Rosenblatt. The two officers still face charges of reckless manslaughter, criminally negligent homicide, and second-degree assault, causing serious injury. Altogether, three Aurora officers and two paramedics face charges for McLean's death. The indictment said Officer Nathan Woodyard stopped McLean initially, being the first officer on the scene. Paramedic Jeremy Cooper is accused of making the decision and injecting McLean with ketamine. The indictment said neither he nor paramedic Peter Sichuniak spoke to McLean, checked his vital signs, or physically examined him. The five had three separate trials scheduled. Rodema and Rosenblatt will go on trial together in September. Woodyard will be tried separately in October. And Cooper and Sichuniak will go on trial together in late November. For KGNU, I'm Steve Miller. Newly released body cam video is renewing questions about whether more could have been done to prevent convicted murderer Anderson Aldrich from obtaining firearms 
before last year's Club Q murders. The footage was taken by the El Paso County Sheriff's Office during a standoff outside Aldrich's home in June 2021, about a year and a half before Aldrich killed five people in a mass shooting at the Club Q nightclub in Colorado Springs. In that June 2021 standoff, which ended in Aldrich's arrest, authorities were responding to a bomb threat and kidnapping call in a home near Colorado Springs. Charges in that case were dropped when family members stopped cooperating with investigators, according to the Associated Press. After the Club Q shooting, El Paso County law enforcement was criticized for not pursuing red flag laws that could have prevented Aldrich from getting weapons. Legal experts who have seen the newly released body cam video obtained by Scripps News say it indicates additional charges could have been brought that might have kept Aldrich from legally possessing firearms. Survivors and family members of victims say they plan to sue the county for not getting a red flag order. Aldrich was given five consecutive life sentences this past June after pleading guilty in the Club Q case. In addition to the five murders, 18 others were wounded. A longtime Colorado Bureau of Land Management employee has filed a whistleblower lawsuit alleging that her supervisors aren't enforcing livestock grazing regulations on public lands. KGNU's Jackie Sedley has the story. Melissa Shawcroft manages about a quarter million acres of public rangeland for the Bureau of Land Management, also known as BLM. She was suspended for two weeks without pay, according to the Denver Post, after she allegedly didn't follow management rules. Her supervisor also accused her of sending unprofessional emails. Shawcroft has been a rangeland specialist for more than 30 years, and she says BLM suspended her for insisting that they enforce grazing rules. In her whistleblower suit, which was filed yesterday, she says BLM fails to stop ranchers who do not hold a permit from trespassing by allowing their livestock to graze on the land. Ranchers with permits have submitted complaints, says Shawcroft, complaining that the livestock grazing without a permit are polluting the water, threatening endangered species along the river basin, and destroying the feeding grounds. Shawcroft told the Denver Post that BLM managers are hesitant to enforce the law because they're concerned about an armed standoff with ranchers similar to the one in Oregon in 2014. The Bureau of Land Management has not publicly commented on Shawcroft's whistleblower suit as of this morning. For KGNU and Report for America, I'm Jackie Sedley. The Colorado Water Congress is meeting in Steamboat Springs today through Thursday. Their agenda includes announcing the next director of the Colorado Water Conservation Board. That announcement is expected today. Their agenda also includes a session on the negotiations among the seven basin states about the future of the Colorado River. Elected officials due at the Steamboat Springs meeting include Governor Jared Polis, Colorado U.S. Senators Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper, and Representatives Joe Neguse and Lauren Boebert. The Colorado Water Congress advances programs to conserve and protect the state's water resources. The temperature in Denver reached a record-setting 99 degrees yesterday, the highest ever for an August 21st. In today's weather forecast, it will be hot, but not quite as hot. The National Weather Service is calling for mostly sunny skies today, with an overall high of about 93 degrees in the metro area. In Denver, the high will be 96 degrees, 92 in Boulder, 94 in Fort Collins, and in Nederland, a cooler 76 degrees. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Yvonne Olivas. 
Elected officials, university leaders, and community organizers were at CU Boulder's Renee Crown Wellness Institute to discuss gun violence prevention measures, including the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Attending the invitation-only event were U.S. House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries, Colorado Congressman Joe Neguse, CU Chancellor Philip P. Stefano, Front Range Community College President Dr. Colleen Simpson, and lead organizers of gun violence prevention groups, among others. Among the speakers was Dr. Beverly Kingston, director of the Center for the Study and Prevention of Violence at University of Colorado's Institute for Behavioral Science. Here she is answering a question posed by moderator Dr. Ryland Rebaca of CU Center for African and African American Studies. So the first question is, looking more broadly and based on your work, what do you think is the root cause of gun violence in America? Well, thank you for that giant question. Yeah. <laughs> about, dissertation question. Yeah, dissertation question in about three minutes to answer it. But I, I really do think that there's some answers to that. And this is the, the area that our center focuses on and studies. So I'm going to, to give it my best here. Um, what we do in our center is we use the, the metaphor of an, ice, of an iceberg to talk about and help us understand those root causes of gun violence. And when you think about that iceberg, at the tip is gun violence. It's the homicides, the suicides, um, the mass shootings, the things that make the nightly news. And below that, the, the tip, that's where we see bullying, we see physical fights, we see, um, unfortunately, many mental health concerns. I'm alarmed at the numbers that have recently come out of the CDC. 25% of our high school young people have seriously considered suicide in the past year. That is up from a very high number in 2019 when it was 19%. It's huge, and I'll just have to say this, it's worse for girls and worse even worse for black girls. And so we just have to know that that's some of our context. But then we can go even deeper underwater. We can look at those, those social structural forces, those broader forces like poverty, racism, and collective trauma that then fuel the violence. And so that that's, helps kind of understand the structure, but I wanna add a little bit to it. So in society today, as we all know, we're experiencing these unprecedented social stressors. And what we need, and I think you're alluding to it in your opening comments, is we need to have an infrastructure, a prevention infrastructure to, to just like we have roads and bridges. So just like we have roads and we have bridges and we pay for those services and th that work, we need an infrastructure of prevention and an infrastructure of intervention. And by that I mean social emotional learning for kids you know, from preschool throughout. We need tested and effective intervention programs um, for those young people that are at risk and those that are already exhibiting violent behavior. We have things that work and we can put those into place. The last thing I want to say about this is that when we have this, well, what I'll, two things I want to say. One is that this prevention infrastructure, we, we have pieces of it. I mean, thankfully, there have been a lot of federal grants, but they're grant funded. It's not sustained like many of, much of the infrastructure of society. And that's why I think we see these up and down waves. We need to think about this as something that we build into our society. We when we have this lack of infrastructure, 
combined with the magnitude of firearms that are easily accessible on the streets, it fuels the violence, the gun violence that we're seeing in America today. Again, that was Dr. Beverly Kingston, director of the Center for the Study and Prevention of Violence at University of Colorado, speaking yesterday at a community conversation at the Renee Crown Wellness Institute. KGNU will air the full conversation during the Hemispheres program this evening at 6 p.m. Up next is This Week in Water with Franny Halpern and Jamie Sedler. Planting rocks to crush climate change. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. In addition to being the deadliest wildfire in the U.S. in the last century, the disaster on Maui is likely to have a devastating impact on the island's ecosystems. Maui's coral reefs, some of the oldest in Hawaii, could be killed from ash and runoff from the fire. Also, invertebrates that feed on plankton might ingest contaminants, mistaking them for food. The reefs are already stressed from pollution and overfishing, and portions were bleached about eight years ago when water temperatures rose under El Nino conditions. The corals are important not only as fish habitat, but also they break surf that otherwise would cause coastlines to deteriorate. The disaster is bringing attention to historic water disputes on Maui. In the 1880s, before Hawaii was colonized and became a plantation economy based upon sugar and pineapple, water was used for farming and subsistence, but now much is diverted for resorts and development and has transformed the Lahaina area where the fires were most devastating into a desert. In related news, research shows that those who live in areas with wildfire smoke have an increased risk of developing dementia. A new study examined different sources of contaminants, including from traffic and coal combustion. They found that small particles, not only from wildfires, but also from agriculture, are more damaging to the brain than others. The study looked at tiny inhalable particles 30 times smaller than the width of a human hair. Wildfire smoke includes burnt structures such as gas stations and homes and has already been known to worsen lung conditions like asthma and COPD and can increase risk of heart attack and stroke. It can also cause inflammation in the liver, kidneys, and other organs, in addition to the new evidence of its effects on the brain. One of the researchers told CNN that they were surprised when agriculture and wildfires stood out. She noted that it makes a lot of sense given they were looking at impacts on the brain. Agriculture, for example, uses pesticides, some of which are neurotoxins. The exact way particle pollution leads to dementia hasn't been determined but some theories suggest it gets into the brain through the nose and causes neuron cells to die. And it's also a possibility that the small particles modify proteins that act on the brain. As of Saturday, August 19th, nearly 100 fires were burning in 15 states, and in British Columbia alone, almost 400 blazes are raging in the worst wildfire season on record in Canada. Smoke contaminants can travel far from where a fire originates, affecting many with polluted air. The aloe vera plant has been used for centuries to moisturize skin, improve gut health, and heal wounds. But while the plant's sap is in high demand for its health and beauty properties, the rinds are tossed out as agricultural waste, which if left to rot, release methane and contribute to the climate crisis. But aloe trash could soon be treasure. 
According to new research, the plant's peels are a natural pesticide. The discovery came after researchers from the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley visited a local aloe nursery and noticed that insects were attacking leaves of other plants but leaving aloe alone. They took the rinds back to the lab and discovered they contained at least six bioactive compounds that have insecticidal properties that could be used in agriculture. The team says the aloe-derived pesticides could help farmers in areas where insects are a major threat, such as in regions of Africa and parts of India, to improve food security. Also, being able to recycle the peels would create a revenue stream for aloe vera growers. And finally, to avoid climate catastrophe, we need not only to reduce emissions ASAP, but also, as most experts agree, to remove carbon already in the atmosphere. One way to get there is by planting more trees, but according to new research, we should also be planting rocks. Volcanic rock, to be precise. Researchers from Yale University recently modeled how adding crushed basalt a rock that forms as lava cools, to croplands could help farms store significant amounts of carbon through a process called enhanced rock weathering. When rain falls, it absorbs CO2 in the atmosphere and becomes more acidic. That acid rain then reacts with rocks on the ground and is converted to carbonates that sequester the carbon. Normally, this natural geologic weathering happens slowly. But research has found that by using volcanic rock dust, it can be accelerated. How much? The authors estimated that if the basalt bits were spread across all of the world's croplands for the rest of the century, 215 billion tons of carbon dioxide could be removed, keeping climate goals within reach. What's more, the carbonates improve soil health and, as they make their way into waterways and eventually to the sea, they can reduce ocean acidification. Ironically, the team says the hotter it gets, the better the enhanced rock weathering works, whereas other methods, such as storing carbon in soils, become less effective with continued warming. The authors say that farmers already apply tons of limestone to fields to increase productivity, so they could potentially switch to less expensive lava dust and help the planet rock on. That's it for this week in water. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Yvonne Olivas. Mesa Verde National Park in southwest Colorado is home to stunning juniper and pinon pine forests and some of the largest cliff dwellings in North America. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements visited the park and caught a performance by Pueblo dancers, a tour of Cliff Palace, and learned of the connections from the past to the present of the ancestral Puebloan people. dancers and we are from the Pueblo of Jemez, which is approximately 45 miles northwest of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So we traveled this far to share some of our traditional dances and to visit some of our ancestors that have been here before. Oh, yeah. 
this is our stronghold where we carry on this tradition and culture. Uh, Mesa Verde, I don't know if you've seen the film at the front, uh, up, up in the museum. We are featured in, that, in the film. See, the old Canyon dancers. So if you see the singers in there, it's me and my, myself, my brothers, and the dance group. <laughs> Palace is the largest dwelling in the park with over 150 rooms and the most well-known. Welcome to Mesa Verde National Park as well as welcome to Cliff Palace. My name is Ranger Brady. You can also call me Ranger Richards. Just please do not call me Mr. Ranger since that's my father. After a few minutes, our group reaches the edge of Cliff Palace. We have more space down here. Feel free to grab a seat, folks. We'll be here for a few minutes, unless if you wanted to suffer in the sun longer than we need to. Ranger Richards uses a green laser pointer to indicate to the stone kivas and towers of the dwelling. So if you look at the very base of the rock, um, right at the bottom, there's this really flaky layer called shale. So when water hits that shale layer, it's forced at the side of the rock, creating a spring of water called a seep spring. At, that was the main water source for the ancestral Pueblo people, and the main reasons why they came down into these cliff dwellings in the first place is to get closer to that water source, is to get closer to that seep spring. The sandstone cliffs itself also filter the water, so it's drinking water straight out of the rock. Soon, the group walks around an open kiva in the middle of the dwelling floor as Ranger Richards wraps up the tour. The ancestral Pueblo people and their descendants did not disappear. They did not vanish, and for those of you that are fans of Marvel, they did not get Thanos-snapped out of existence. They're still very much alive and living today. Some descendants just live in the town of Cortez, Colorado, just 11 minutes outside the park entrance. Others live within an hour or two drive of the park itself in different tribal reservations. Some descendants still work here as members of our staff here at Mesa Verde National Park, some of which are, are my own supervisors, and others are our interns as well as our volunteers. In 2022, roughly half a million people visited Mesa Verde, slightly down from the previous year. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. We go now to our comment line to hear what's on the minds of listeners. Whoa, 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 Joe Newhouse. Um, you went a little bit too far there by saying that uh, the temperatures uh, in um, Texas and Arizona were nothing nearly as high as those in the Sahara in previous years. That is a mistake, and you need to keep this kind of thing accurate. I'm a climatologist uh, in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado State University, and I know what the numbers are. So 
it's important that you just stay accurate so that you uh, don't get in trouble with this kind of thing. Um, I agree with so much of what you say. However, you don't want to go overboard with your particular numbers. That's really, really important because you know that the critics are going to come after us and uh, and tear us up with that kind of stuff, that kind of inaccuracy. Hello. Thanks for your good work, and but I'd like to apprise you that as there's no um, the 1390 signal, no uh, BBC broadcast today. It's Wednesday, August uh, 16th, at all. Thank you. Thank you to KGNU for two programs last week on the important missing and murdered Indigenous women issue. I really appreciate host Kathy Partridge for her interview August 11 on The Connection Show, interviewing Jordan Dresser, who was co-producer of the film Who She Is on that topic. And you can hear that on KGNU show archives. And I'm really glad that our community gets to hear him in person and see the film on August 24th at Chautauqua at 7.30 p.m., also, thank you for the program, No More Stolen Sisters, that KGNU aired from the Bioneers.org podcast. It really helped provide greater understanding of this issue. Thank you, KGNU, from your happy solar member, Bonnie. If you'd like to make a comment on something you heard on KGNU, you can leave a message on our listener comment line at 303-447-9911. That's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Yvonne Olivas. Shannon Young is our producer. Thanks to John Kellen, Steve Miller, Alexis Kenyon, Jackie Sudley, Franny Halbrin, Jamie Sudler, and Chris Clements for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for How on Earth, the KGNU Science